Good morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the news reports from December 7th, 1941, paint an unimaginable picture. You see, just before 8 o'clock local time, 353 Imperial Japanese planes take off and begin their attack on the American naval base at Pearl Harbor. And Francis Stuve, Army Private First Class, remembers that day vividly. It was quiet, he says. Quiet as you've ever seen. Beautiful sunshine, nothing going on. And that's probably why you can begin to imagine the scene he goes on to describe. You see, he's sitting in the dining hall, eating some breakfast on a Sunday morning. A Sunday morning not so different from this. When out of nowhere, he hears this loud noise off in the distance. Three loud bangs. Bang, bang, bang. And it's this startling interruption. But someone quickly provides an explanation. It's Chinese New Year. Now, little does he know that's a little over a month away, but... It's enough to tide him over. And so he goes back to eating his breakfast. When out of nowhere, a bullet pierces the window behind him, flies across the dining hall, and knocks a butter dish off the table in front of him. Needless to say, it gets his attention. So he hops to his feet, and he heads outside. In those days, he explains, it was not uncommon to see American aircraft performing special maneuvers. But when he looks up, he sees not one plane, but a whole fleet of them, and their guns are on fire. Now, in just under 90 minutes, those planes absolutely decimate the American naval base at Pearl Harbor. They sink four ships, damage 14 more. 188 planes are destroyed on the runways, which are then torn up. Many of the base's barracks are shot to pieces. But the real cost of this event is measured not in lost equipment, but in lost servicemen some 2,400 of them. Which is why when those planes fly away, Francis Stuve knows that things will never be the same again. And like many of, his, many of his fellow Americans, he finds himself growing more and more anxious about an uncertain future. And you know, it's uh, among sentiments like these, anxious and uncertain sentiments, that we find Jesus and his disciples today. See, it's the Tuesday of Holy Week, and Jesus' disciples, with every passing hour, their future seems less and less certain. It all started when Jesus entered the temple and began to scold the religious establishment. First the Pharisees, then the Sadducees, and by the end of the day, everyone wants a piece of him. And if you're one of his disciples, watching this all unfold, it makes you tense and nervous. It's sort of like that relative who comes over at Thanksgiving and only wants to talk about politics. And so, you know, when it all comes to a close, when Jesus finally ends this long altercation, you and your fellow disciples breathe this sigh of relief. He leads you out of the temple, but to your surprise, that's when the real anxiety begins. And it's hard to overstate just how unsettling this would be. 
You see, you're wandering through the city when you make this harmless comment. And it's the sort of comment you make when you're trying to fill an awkward silence because everybody's staring at Jesus. Look, Master, you say. What large stones and massive buildings. And, you know, when you're from Galilee, they are really a sight to behold. Forty feet long, ten feet high, quarried by hand, brought all this way to Jerusalem. I mean, they are a sight to see. And, you know, you're making this comment to fill some awkward silence, but then Jesus looks at you and says, do you see these things? Do you see these stones, stones that probably weigh 500 tons? Not a single one of them will be left on another because they're all coming down. Now, you'd probably dismiss his statement, write it off as exaggeration, but but this is the same guy who walked on water. I mean, this is the same guy who raised Lazarus to life. And so you turn to Jesus and you ask the only reasonable question, Lord, when will this happen? Give us a sign. You're making us anxious. It's a frightening situation. But Jesus' response is this strange combination of uncertainty and then promise. No one knows the day or the hour. Not the angels in heaven. Not even the Son. Only the Father. But then it comes with that promise. But it's cryptic. One day, I'll return. One day, I'll gather my followers. Yet somewhere behind it all, you can hear him saying, don't worry, I've got this. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but this passage often seems bizarre and odd to me. I mean, Jesus is speaking in this apocalyptic language, and when you begin to pull it apart, you discover these two events that seem completely unrelated to our everyday life. I mean, first, there's the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, this event happens about 40 years after Jesus' death. There's an uprising in the city, and for a couple of years, it's actually successful. Uh, The Jews kick the Romans out of Jerusalem. They go and retake most of Palestine, and they regain their independence. But, of course, there's a catch in this story, which is why Jesus is telling his disciples about it, because the guy who's supposed to be overseeing Jerusalem, Vespasian, has recently left town. He's headed to Rome to become the new emperor. And, well, in a couple of years, he's going to return, and he's going to retake the city in horrific fashion. Not one stone will be left on another. That's what Jesus tells his disciples, but it still feels remote and distant for us. And then the second event is Jesus' second coming. But, you know, 2,000 years later, when he tells us that you can't tell the time or the hour, that that even he won't know, it, it still seems almost irrelevant. You know, then I begin to think about that element of uncertainty, the unpredictable quality about the future. And I realize this stuff impacts our lives every single day. I mean, it happens at every stage of life. You're growing up and your family moves from one town to another. You're about to start a new school and you begin to wonder, will I fit in here? Is there a place for me? Am I going to make friends? 
or you're off at college studying for that important major and, and you begin to worry, will I find a job after graduation? And then there's the first date, will she like me? Or you and your spouse begin to have kids, will they be successful? A doctor gives you the diagnosis, but what about the treatment? Will it make a difference? I mean, our list could go on and on. Money, retirement. I was on Google News this past week, and, and nine out of the ten headlines had to do with anxiety about the future. And they're the sorts of things that make us worry and wonder. But even more than that, they're the sorts of things that make us eager to hear Jesus answer, Lord, when will this happen? Well, in June of 2010, Allstate Auto created a series of commercials based on the fictional character Mayhem. And uh, over the past six years, they produced more than 30 commercials, all of which follow this similar format. Mayhem introduces an all-too-familiar situation. You know, a deer wanders out in the road and stares you down in its headlights. Uh, your GPS is giving you directions, but tells you to make a wrong turn. Uh, a teenage girl is driving in the driver's seat of her SUV, texting her friend after an emotional breakup. But, but my favorite of these commercials also happens to be one of the shortest. I may be an orthodontist, Mayhem explains as the camera pans out and he's sawing through a piece of plywood. But I know a thing or two about... And that's when he's stopped in his tracks. His circular saw binds up and goes flying through the window behind him. And, you know, the, the punchline to these commercials is always that this stuff happens and we need to be protected. I mean, it appeals to the, the part of us that worries and wonders, the part of us that wants to prevent these sorts of situations. But it also creates this temptation, the temptation that we don't need Jesus, that if we try hard enough or work long enough, that if we go to the right school or work the right job or vote for the right candidate, we might actually secure our future. And when we do, when we prevent the problem or predict the disaster, it only makes things that much harder because when the heart attack actually does happen, when your car is all smashed up in pieces, your world comes crashing down around you and it feels like there's no hope left. But you see, it's in moments like this that Jesus looks at you just like he looked at his fellow disciples and he says, don't worry, I've got this. Because your future doesn't rest in your hands and it, it doesn't rest in your auto insurance's hands. It rests in my hands. And that's the safest place to keep it. Now, it may surprise you to learn uh, that following the attacks on Pearl Harbor, it was Eleanor Roosevelt, not her husband, the president, who first addressed the nation. You see, every Sunday night, Eleanor Roosevelt held a weekly radio address. And on this particular Sunday night, after those terrible attacks, she took to the radio waves, and she began to speak words of hope and confidence, rallying the support of the American people for a yet unknown future. And just five days later, five days after that Tuesday in Holy Week, Jesus' disciples arrive at an empty tomb, and he secures our hope and our confidence. Because it's in his resurrection that we find those things. I mean, we may not know what the future holds, 
but we do know the one who holds it in his hands. And today, he is rallying our support. He's getting us ready and making us prepared for a yet unknown future. And so no matter who you are or where you happen to be going on this Sunday after Thanksgiving, Jesus speaks those words of promise. Don't worry. I've got it. And that's what enables us to risk it all, to step out in faith, and to follow him. Because our future is, and never will be, held in Jesus' hands. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.